0: father god thank you so much that when we uh, we name your name it's not just a it's not just a name but it's the person behind that name thank you that we worship not just a name but we worship the living christ thank you that you died for us you rose from the dead you're alive today and so as we open your word and listen to you uh, father would you teach us we need to hear from you we don't need to hear from Dale or anyone else up here. We need to hear from you, from your word, from the very words of Scripture that you give us. So, Father, as we, uh, as we open your word now, we ask you to uh, speak into every life here in ways that I cannot do because you know the heart. You know what's going on. I don't. So I thank you that you and your word accomplish your will. We ask you to do that in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Good morning. morning, morning, turn to Philippians chapter 4 today, Philippians chapter 4, we make a transition today from chapter 3 and it's not just a change in the number of the chapter, it's really a major shift from learning all that we've been learning about what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be a part of His body, what it means to be as we learned last week, citizens of heaven, not just of earth. And now we end, we, we end chapter 3 and we begin with that big word, therefore, telling me that now God is going to speak into the details of our lives how this great truth of who we are in Christ applies in everyday life. So go to Philippians 4 with me. Open your Bibles. And there's also an outline. You'll need it to follow along later. So feel free to pull that out as well as we study together. This past week, knowing that I was entering a chapter which is often nicknamed the joy chapter in the Bible. This is a chapter that speaks of joy more than any other single chapter I know of, at least, in God's Word. We're going to study not just one, but nine different truths over the next few weeks, really for the rest of the summer, as we explore this issue of what I like to call joy no matter what. Joy is something everybody pursues, or at least... Happiness is high on the wish list of virtually every person on planet Earth. doesn't matter where you grow up. doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, whether you live in Africa or Asia or in France with the Verbess or here in the West Coast. Joy and some form of what they often call happiness is on the pursuit list of virtually everyone. And by the way, nothing wrong with that. I mean, I kind of want to be happy. In fact, if I have a choice today to be happy or unhappy, I probably vote for happy. Anyone vote for unhappy? Raise your hand. Anybody really? Okay. Usually it's a universal wish that we all have. But how do you get there? That's the question. Ran across an article on CBS News that led with this line, which sounded like a bit of a downer. It said this, quote, Materialism breeds depression and makes happiness elusive. And all of a sudden, one of the major themes for happiness in our culture just suddenly got its bubble popped. When it, actually this research done by a secular couple of, uh, of psychologists, professors, Dr. Richard Ryan, Dr. Tim Kaser, reported in their study as to the effects of what you value in life and how it affects your pursuit of happiness. They actually said this, quote, that materialism actually can breed depression, not happiness. Some of the case studies that they had to prove it were interesting. He goes on to say in the report, quote, this is a man who had studied the, uh, the report of Dr-, of Dr. Ryan and Kasser, said this, quote, I've tracked down Dr. Ryan at the University of Wa- Rochester in New York. And he says this, and I quote him directly, When we started our research, we were looking at people's value systems and their emphasis on relationships, commitment, and personal growth, Dr. Ryan says. But when we put a relative importance on the value of money, it had a strong mental effect. The studies really weren't intended to show the pursuit of affluence, that that the pursuit of affluence created unhappiness. It just turned out that way said Dr. Ryan, professor of the Department of Clinical and Social Sciences in Psychology. He goes on to say later in the article, another quote, he says the the material things of life that we seek can never replace the internal things, try as we might. And then I found this quote to be of particular interest because this is a secular study. He says you have to find a spiritual partner Someone who can relate to you at a deeper level, says Dr. Ryan. That is more on the level of the soul. It's kind of fascinating that when uh, secular research really digs deep, it often uncovers, buried under all of our modern wisdom and knowledge, it uncovers basic biblical truth that's been taught by Jesus Christ, passed on through the epistles, through the Word of God for ages and ages. Sometimes what we need to to address the more modern uh, needs that we all feel, including this thing called happiness, in reality is uh, the real answers are given to us in some great ancient truth that understands the issue and the uh, needs of the human soul. So what we're going to do now is go to Philippians 4, and we're going to launch into the study today and actually for the rest of the summer of this question of the pursuit of happiness or joy or peace, whatever you want to call it, we're going to to tackle that. And in fact, today we're going to launch a study of chapter four uh, of, of what it means to have joy no matter what, as we study these nine different principles from God's Word. We'll hit the first two of them today. What I'd like to do, though, is first kind of give you the big picture, sometimes to really understand the trees of something you got to study the forest first okay you got to kind of back up and get a map of the forest and then you go into the forest and dissect the trees and the individual truths so let me first give you what i call in your outline if you want to follow an overview of the search for joy no matter what now to do that i'd like to first back up and define some terms as used by our culture as opposed to the way we're going to be using them over the next few weeks first of all joy and peace those are common Everybody wants joy, everybody wants peace. How is it defined in terms of the culture? From my experience, what I see is joy in our culture is experiencing the emotion of happiness. And that happiness is often linked, if not always linked, to what's happening, to the happenings in my life. In other words, it is rooted in the circumstances of my life. If my circumstances are up, if they're positive, then, hey, I feel happy. If my circumstances go down and negative, I lose it. And I suddenly find myself stuck in a funk. And that's kind of the way our culture often thinks of this thing called uh, happiness. What do we mean by the phrase peace? I think often in in our society when people say, well, hey, do you have a sense of peace? What they mean by that is simply this, that peace is the absence of conflict. It's the presence of calm. I feel calm because I'm not at conflict. It's kind of like when when you're not at warfare with somebody else, you'll say, our country is now in a time of peace. Just because of the absence of open conflict is a common phrase that we use. But yet what I want to show you is how this contrasts with what the scriptures in Jesus means when he talks about joy and peace. It's very, very different. What do we think of joy and peace according to Jesus? Let me just give you three verses from a single sermon that Jesus delivered right before his death. Here they are, John 14:1. Jesus says to his disciples who were troubled and worried, he says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God? Obviously you do. Then believe also in me. If you believe in God, believe also in me. Uh, Don't be troubled. Second example, a little later in the same sermon, John 15, 15, 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. So Jesus wants us to experience what he calls full joy and he defines it as my joy. So he's not saying, I want your joy to be up. He's saying, I want your joy to be replaced by my joy. There's a certain characteristic of Jesus and the ability that he had to have joy in the midst of, of whatever. Third thing, toward the end of the sermon, John 16, Jesus says this about peace. These things I've spoken to you so that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take courage I have overcome the world. So Jesus now is talking about a joy and a peace that was his even though he knew he was about to die. And not just die, but die a horrendous death on a cross. Jesus, on the way to the cross... He sees how upset his disciples are. He knows that they're freaked out. He knows that they're worried about life. They're stressed out. They're troubled. And he says, "Uh, don't be troubled. If you really trust, if you believe in God, put your faith in me as well. And he says, look, I want you to have not just the world's approach to joy. I want you to have my joy in you, which is a joy that you can have even if you know you're headed for a cross. That's, That's a different kind of joy. I want you to have my peace, which is different because in the world, you're going to have trouble, you're going to have tribulation, but I want you to have a type of peace that transcends whatever is going on around you. So all three statements made on the way to the cross make it clear that Jesus is talking about a different level of joy, different kind of peace than what we often talk about in the world. And then if you look thirdly at joy and peace in contrast to the culture in Philippians chapter 4. What we're going to see in Philippians chapter 4, and let me just read a few verses, and then we'll show you the summary of them. Listen to these verses and see what phrase keeps repeating. Verse 1, stand firm in the Lord. Verse 2, live in harmony in the Lord. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice Verse 6, be anxious for nothing, and the peace of God, verse 7, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 9, and the God of peace will be with you. Verse 10, rejoice in the Lord greatly. Verse 11, I've learned the secret to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. Whether I'm rich or whether I lack, whether I'm hungry or whether I'm full, it doesn't matter, I've learned the secret of being content. That's joy. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, verse 13, verse 19, because my God will supply all my needs. What's the common theme? I just went through the highlights of 19 verses. The common theme is what? It is in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord, in your God, in his promises. See, it's, it's, it's Christ, his presence and his promises that as we abide in him and in them, he's saying you can have my kind of joy, my kind of peace. That's what Philippians 4 is laying out. So here's my summary of the chapter. Joy and peace, no matter what, means to live, to not be living under the circumstances of life, but above them in Christ. To not be living, let me say it again, under the circumstances. I had a professor in... School years ago, that used to like he couldn't stand to pass a student, and uh, he said he told this story in class one day. He said he says you know I get tired of passing students uh, at the, at this at, the, at this seminary at the you know these are guys training to be pastors and and you see some guy it's moping around and he says hey how you doing and and he says the 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 guy would say well okay under the circumstances and his comeback which I'll never forget, is he would say, Bill, you remember it? What would he say? What are you doing there? there? Bill had the same professor. I knew it. Thank you for bailing me out there, man. That's good. Yeah. What are you doing there? What are you doing living under the circumstances? Because I thought you were in Jesus Christ. I thought with Christ in you and you in Christ and his word and his promises, we ought to be able to live above the circumstances of life not under them. And if you forget everything else I say today, remember this statement. Because this passage, which we're going to be studying for the next five weeks, this passage in chapter 4 contains talk about Paul's struggles, about anxiety, about conflict between people, about suffering, need, or going hungry. And the crazy chapter is written from where? Prison. So you're running from prison. Prison. And he's still saying, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. So what is the secret to being able to have what I call, if you look at your outline, the three essentials of authentic anytime joy? Authentic, anytime, joy. Now, why do I say authentic, anytime, joy? Because when Ryan and and Matt and I as a teaching team were talking about teaching this chapter, we said, you know, we don't want to come across as if we're implying that all you have to do is memorize a Bible verse and quote it out loud every morning and all of a sudden all your worry and anxiety and everything is going to go away. And we don't want to come across as if life isn't full for the Christian. Life doesn't have problems. You got real problems. But yet, you know, and we're not talking about that no matter what is going on in your life, I mean, if you just got diagnosed with, with a disease or you find out a loved one has is, 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 is just lost their job or, 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 they're, gonna, or they're sick or, or just got injured or, or someone, whatever, it's not that we're implying that you say, well, rejoice in the Lord always. So I'm just going to smile and, and sing my way through life no matter how I feel. Feelings are real, feelings of anger and hurt. And worry are real. They're real feelings, depending on what's going on. But the question is this. Do you allow your circumstances to dictate the presence or absence of joy? Or can you have joy no matter what? Can you live because of Christ above those circumstances, even if you're hurting? Because that, those hurts are real. So we want it to be authentic, not just some Christian tagline that rejoice in the Lord always again I say rejoice even though I'm dying now that's not that's not what Christ I mean Christ had full joy but he also wept Christ had full joy but he went into the garden to pray to his heavenly father and he he actually sweat drops of blood there was so much pressure on him so yeah the thing is this can you have pain and still have joy Because I think what Jesus models from the cross is you can have both if you understand where that joy and that peace comes from. So I've given you an outline, um, and the outline's a little different today. Probably surprised most of you. A lot of times I have all kinds of points on the outline. The outline today, everything else we're going to teach, falls under one of three circles. And these three circles hopefully will plant in your brain a visual reminder of what we're about to teach and um and uh we'll see if that's the case where does it begin let me give you the big picture first if you were to study all of philippians 4 there are really three essentials to authentic anytime joy number one it begins with peace with god it begins with peace with god and notice that i didn't build it i didn't build a um a what's this called a triangle thank you very much i'm kind of working on my shapes here now what's this called octagon what's this called okay what is this anyway nothing okay here we go this is confusion okay i I didn't build a triangle but there's purpose behind what the way i did this um that inner that first circle is peace with god i have to be at peace with god and that is the foundation for every other type of peace and that's why the peace with God circle is also a part of the circle, the second circle, which is peace with others. Because I need to let my peace with God and the grace of God that I live under you know, begin to pervade and influence all of my relationships. So now, based on my peace with God, I am now able to really give grace and forgiveness and, and, and resolve my conflicts and have more peace with others. And then, thirdly, peace with God and peace with others are essential to the third bigger circle, which is peace with life and life's circumstances. Got that? So, as we study through this chapter, it's going to begin with peace with God. It's going to talk today, even a little bit, about the second circle, peace with others. And then, all of the rest of the chapter is going to deal with peace with life and its circumstances how to deal with anxiety, how to deal with worry how to deal with when you have a sense of lack and you feel like, oh my gosh, I don't have enough to live on and how to deal with, oh my gosh, I don't believe I can do that. All of those issues of peace and joy and confidence and security and significance, all of these human needs are gonna be met somewhere in this diagram. So let's talk first about the first two circles. Ready, here we go. The passage begins with peace with God. Listen to the details now chapter four verse one therefore in other words in light of all that we've been learning about who you are in christ therefore my beloved brethren whom i long to see my joy my crown i love you guys is what he's saying in this way stand firm in the lord my beloved stand firm in the lord my beloved and then jump down to verse four Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now, why would he say that? Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, again, I say rejoice. Why would he he repeat himself? Any idea? Why would you do that? Yeah, it's for emphasis, right? And why would you want to emphasize it? It's probably because the person, you know that the person reading this is going to say, Rejoice in the Lord always. I don't know about that. Did you really mean that? I mean, I mean, because it's not the rejoice in the Lord that's tough to do. It's pretty easy to come to church, page gets up, says that sing to God, you rejoice in the Lord. It's the, it's the always word that freaks me out. It's the always word that takes a, a simple command, rejoice in the Lord, always. Yeah, again, you heard me right. Again, I say rejoice, You ought to be able to give praise to God, to rejoice always, but not so much in your circumstances, but in your Lord. It's not that he's saying rejoice over the fact that you just got bad news. No, no, he doesn't say rejoice in the crappy news you just got. He says rejoice in the Lord in spite of whatever is going on in your circumstances. That's very different. Now, this idea that Peace with God is foundational to all of life and your emotional health, especially, has always fascinated me. Years ago, um, I read an article by a Christian clinical psychologist. And uh, those of you that are in the room that are psychologists, uh, uh, forgive me if this is simplistic or whatever, but let me give you what I've learned from him that I really appreciated. He said this, and it clicked with me. He said that every human being, doesn't matter whether you're living in Africa uh, or whether you're living in the U.S., doesn't matter if you have abundance uh, and, and you're the wealthiest guy in town or whether or not you're on welfare and in poverty, doesn't matter, every human being to be a sense of emotional wellness or health needs three things. And here was his short list. Number one was security. Security. And what we need to know is that in Christ, you have security. That is that you are loved and that you belong. That you are loved and that you belong. Somebody loves you. You are secure in somebody's love and that you belong to uh, some, someone or some group that, that, that also loves you, all right? So the sense of being loved and belonging what I call security, something that can never be taken away. I am securely loved. Number two, we'll come back to this later, number two is that you need a sense of significance. Significance speaks more to purpose in life, that I need a cause worth living for. There's some reason I'm on the planet, right? Why am I here? So you need a sense of significance as well as security. Number three is you need a sense of being able to do something in other words you have some ability you have the power to do what you feel like you need to do and you need all three to be healthy i mean for example if i feel very loved and i have i feel loved and i feel like i have purpose but i have no ability well then now i'm frustrated because wow you know i'm loved and i've got something to do with my life that matters but i'm but i'm but but i'm totally unable to get it done or what if you feel like, wow, I have all kinds of gifts and abilities, but, I have, but I'm clueless as to why. What, what can I, how can I make a difference in this life? How can I make a difference in this world so I have no sense of significance? Uh, or maybe you have all kinds of significance, but you don't feel like you're loved and, and belong. So you need all three to be healthy. That's a simplistic approach, but I think it works for me. So what I want to show you now, if we back up, is that in Christ... You actually have all three. When he says, stand firm in the Lord. In other words, don't be pushed around by life. Stand firm because you are in Christ. Number one, in Christ, do we have security? Yes. He actually refers to them as my beloved. And then he refers to them as brethren in verse one. My beloved is an indication that they are deeply loved, not just by Paul, but by God. We know that Christ loves us. He died for us. He gave his life for you. We know that you're totally at peace with God and loved by him. Romans 5.1, write it down. Romans 5.1 says, therefore now, having been justified by faith in Christ, you are at peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Perfect peace. That you are deeply loved with the security of of the grace of God and the love of God. So that tells me that I'm loved. But also he calls them brethren. He says, you're like my brothers, my sisters, we're family. We are belong to this thing called the body of Christ or the family of God. So you are not only deeply loved by God, but you are eternally connected to the family of God. That's about as secure as you can be. I love this. We are secure in Christ. Number two, do you have significance in Christ? Sure, in Christ you have significance. Even in this passage, in Philippians, uh, notice what he says in verse 2. Now, we're, we'll come back to this later, but in verse 2 he talks about the church of Philippi, and he says this, I urge Erodia and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion." I ask you to also help these women. These were two women that were obviously having a conflict, right? And refusing to forgive each other. And he says, help them get along. Because they have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. And together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow, what? What? Are you looking? Workers. And these fellow workers for the gospel, whose names are in the book of life. You know, we're in God's family. We're saved and secure in Christ. We also have significance. He refers to it as the cause of the gospel. See, what he's saying is that you being in Christ gives purpose and meaning to life. Now, by by the way, let let me say this. This has nothing to do with what you do to make a living. But it has everything to do with why you are alive. Okay, now let that soak in. That's probably worth, if you want something to tweet out today, make this the tweet of the day. Okay? Maybe it'll bump Trump off the tweet list. Here we, here we go. Okay. But, but the reality is this, is, this is you. Being in Christ, <clears throat> having the cause of the gospel, has nothing to do with what you do for a living. In other words, this is not a statement, as Ryan said earlier, this is not a statement for professional missionaries or pastors. This is is not a statement for professionals evangelists. This is a statement for every follower of Jesus Christ. As they are connected, you have purpose because God actually wants you making a living doing whatever you do to be sprinkled through society as salt and light to the greatest news ever written, the gospel, the good news of Christ. So what he's acknowledging is, look, we are fellow workers for the gospel. We are connected. We are family, and we got a mission to accomplish. And and it's 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 an eternally significant mission. So what he's saying, it has nothing to do with what you do for a living, but it has everything to do with why you are alive. I mean, after all, why not just accept Jesus Christ, be forgiven of your sin, and just be zapped up to heaven? That's where you're going to hang out for eternity anyway. The only reason to be left on planet earth is to be, as Jesus said, salt and light in a in a a dark place that needs you to be a conduit of the grace of God and a conduit of the good news of the gospel. Man, that changes the way I think about life. Gives me a reason to get out of bed. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a follower of Jesus. It gives us significance. Stand firm in the Lord. Because you have security in Christ, you have significance in Christ. Thirdly, do you have ability in Christ? Yes, in Christ, you are able, you have His power. In fact, look at the very verse before today's passage. chapter three verse 21. says "The Lord Jesus Christ, uh, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state that is here on planet Earth, into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has to subject all things to himself. He's saying the very power of God, the spirit of God lives in you as a follower of Jesus. So you do have ability, not in and of yourself, but as you abide and rest and trust in Christ, his presence gives you the power to do and to be whatever he calls you to do and be. So now, in my sense of, hey, how am I today? No matter what's going on circumstantially around my life, I have security. I'm loved in Christ. I have significance representing the cause of Christ. And I have ability because Christ is with me and in me. So all three of those basics of emotional health are there because I'm in Christ. So when he says, stand firm in the Lord, I think that's what he's talking about. Find the very most important basic needs of your life all met in Christ. Now, number two, let's move on. And then he moves on, though, to this middle ring. Because you can uh, can have peace with God, but if you've got crappy relationships because someone ticked you off or you ticked them off and you haven't spoken for years and you decided, you know something, when they ask for forgiveness, maybe I'll give it. But they've got to take the move first. And, and, you, and you got grudges and you got broken relationships. You've you got to deal with that. Interesting that even as he begins this chapter on joy, he says in verse 2, I urge Erodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. In other words, because you are one in Christ, to live in harmony. Then he says, indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared in my struggle for the gospel. In other words, wow, surprise. Christians who love Jesus and serve Jesus sometimes don't like each other. Did you know that? You're probably shocked to hear that, right? Yeah, we're not shocked to hear that, because we all know someone else who's done that. And we all know that we ourselves have done that. I know I have. When you get ticked off at someone, and you just hold grudges, and we refuse to forgive, and, you know, and it, it happens. And he says, look, if you want to have joy in life, number one, make sure your whole identity is rooted in the presence of Christ. Let him meet your needs, not the circumstances of life. Number two, make sure that you are working on your relationships. Keep them clean. Keep them, uh, you know, forgiven. So relationship with others have got to be number two. Now, what's he talk about? Let's talk about peace with others briefly. In verse two, he says, look, help these women live in harmony. Help them forgive one another. And then in verse 5, he says, and by the way, display a gentle spirit because people need to be treated gently, especially when you're ticked off at them. You got to have a gentle spirit with people. You got to view people as fragile because we are emotionally fragile. It's like we ought to have a little sign on our forehead that says, you know, handle with care, okay? Breaks easily. Handle with care. And we need to handle people gently. But we need to seek to resolve conflicts in a way that honors Christ. And sometimes he even says, and by the way, someone help them because they're not getting there alone. They need some help. So what do we learn? Uh, Let me give you some verses this week if you want to study these to go deeper on this. Number one, go to Romans 12, 9 to 18. I'll show you verse 18, but it's really the section 9 to 18 is full of relational principles. Talks about loving without hypocrisy, being devoted to one another, having a brotherly love, giving preference, serving together, persevering together, praying for one another, all these relational principles. And then he says in verse 18, And as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Our goal as followers of Jesus Christ is to have peace in every relationship. Now why does he say, so far as it depends on you? What do you think? He says that because sometimes you can't create reconciliation where there's this. It takes two people to be willing to do this and to come together. It takes two people to be reconciled. It only takes one person to forgive. I can give forgiveness to someone who's not even willing to accept it i can decide you know god i forgive them for what they did and if they're not willing to be reconciled with me and 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 uh be repentant or bounce that forgiveness back in the same direction because we probably both harmed each other hurt each other you know then then i'll never be i won't be reconciled until it takes two to reconcile but then it takes one to forgive it takes one to forgive and god wants us to take the initiative so far as it depends on you be at peace with all men. Chapter 4, verse 32 of Ephesians, another favorite verse of mine. He says, be kind. In fact, I've left out some of the verses just to help you, but it says the full version is be kind, be tender-hearted, be gentle, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. See, every day I sin. You know, I have a bad attitude or a bad thought or I do something wrong. And and when I sin, I come to God and I say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've confessed my sin. Now, what do I expect God to do? Well, based on Scripture, He promises to forgive me, right? In fact, I live under His grace. So then someone wounds me, someone ticks me off. God says, Dale, don't drink my grace every day and then fail to give it to someone else we've got to be people of grace based relationships but number three sometimes wounds are so deep and tensions are so tough like between these two women for whatever reason we don't know what was going on that you also need to ask for help Philippians 4 3 I ask you to please help them So if you're having a conflict with someone else, especially within the family of God or within your own family, and you feel like, you know something, we can't resolve this, we just disagree and we keep beating each other up, then ask for a a third party to be involved, to sit down with you, help you listen to one another, understand one another, and to engage, what does God want you to do in this situation? Sometimes it takes an outside party to just help you cool off enough to listen. But you've got to bring peace in relationships. When you live with unresolved peace, all it does is wound you. A few years back, um, in fact, over 20 years ago now, I had a major conflict uh, at the church I was at. Not here, not in Fullerton, even before that. Up on the Central Coast. And uh, there was a guy named Frank in the church. And Frank thought he knew everything. And he thought that basically our leaders, including Pastor Dale, were kind of clueless. And he was very vocal about that. He was angry. Uh, he kind of went on the warfare against us. Um, he wanted me out of there. Uh, he said malicious things about me. And, and, and the, the bottom line is it got so bad that he was actually asked to leave the church, which doesn't happen very often, right? And uh, but my point is I had a hard time letting loose of that. I was just angry. So How dare he do that? Um, I mean, you'll get a chuckle out of this. One week we came out of church. The church had about a thousand people, big parking lot. Under every windshield was a letter from Frank to everybody on the parking lot, ripping in single space uh, attacks on me and our leaders. So, under the windshield of every windshield wiper. So, that probably hasn't happened to you. I hope it never does. But here's the deal so, Frank disappears, Frank leaves. You know, he's gone. But it's a small town. So I go to the grocery store one day, probably a year later, and, and guess who's in line right in front of me? You know, I got a choice, you know. I can get in the real long line, or I can get in the short line behind Frank. And I was in a hurry, so I get in the short line behind Frank, and as soon as I walked up behind him, I think, you just, I don't even want to talk to this guy. Well, he turns around, I'm thinking, he must really be ticked off at me. He turns around to me and says, how you doing you know it's like we're best friends and I think Frank don't you remember what a jerk you were I didn't say that but this is what I'm thinking and I realized you know Frank was just being a jerk one day and the next day he forgot about being a jerk and he moved on with life and I was the one suffering the anxiety and the and the and the anger and and the lack of forgiveness you know Frank just moved on and I realized that day you know God I need to forgive Frank. We agree to disagree. We'll never agree on the issues. But, you know, God, if Frank is a jerk, then you are his God, not me. You be his judge. And if he needs to get uh, spanked when he gets to heaven, that's your business. (laughs) But I did tell God that I would bring the paddle if he wanted to use it. I didn't say that. But I should have. See, what's Scripture say... Be at peace with all men. That same passage says don't seek your own revenge. Leave a little room for the wrath of God. It's a kind of a humorous verse. Words, let God, God's going to be our judge. Let God do his judge thing and don't you try to think that you are a better judge than God. So it, it freed me to release my anger toward Frank and say you know God, thank you for using Frank to keep me humble. Thank you for using Frank to perhaps cause me to be more dependent upon you um, and move on. Everything we do, if you want to have peace, if you want to have joy above your circumstances, it's got to begin with your peace with God. Then it's got to spread into having peace in your relationships. And then last but not least, it's got to move into and flow into having peace with life. Because at times life simply stinks. You know, Becky and I, um, you know, are very blessed, and God has been very gracious to us. But even uh, as I'm reflecting on this sermon, thinking about how life sometimes really does stink. Um, I thought, well, what if, what's been some of our bad news the last few weeks? And I thought, well, you know, we get the phone call uh, that uh, our, uh, our hot water tank. Yeah, that's the first one. Hot water tank. Um, I have a right to hot water, by the way. You know, it, I know it's in Scripture somewhere, you know, that if you follow God, you have hot water. A hot water tank uh, decided to, uh, all of a sudden, it was producing great hot water, by the way. It just decided to spill it out and begin to leak. So I caught it in time before it did much damage, but we got to get a new hot water tank, you know. And uh, So, you know, you dial it up, you find out, oh yeah, the city has changed city code now. So now it's got to be plumbed differently than the other hot water tank. And, and now they've been changed to be more environmentally friendly, blah, blah, blah. And therefore, to lower my carbon footprint, uh, I, you know, all of a sudden the price doubled. And, and next thing you know, you know, what's it take to get a hot water tank replaced? Not anything more than just $2,000. Two grand and I can get a hot water tank. And guess what? After getting the hot water tank, you know what? It was the same blasted hot water. It didn't. It didn't feel any better. I was just two grand lighter. Okay, you know. But you know. But but then I realized. You know, God, we just got back from Africa where people don't. They don't even have clean water, let alone hot water. So thank you, God. Thank you that you provided the resources for me to even be able to have hot water because I need a hot shower, right? So guess what? So this week we go upstairs and we're getting ready to take a shower and we realize our shower controls aren't working. Well, fortunately, we bought a house in which the previous owner put in a very unique fancy shower, you know, because they knew that they could put it in, and when it break, I'd have to replace it. <laughs> so now, my fancy hot, my fancy shower controls, you know, which I, where, where I can actually set the temperature, and it just comes out that way all the time, you know what I mean? You know, as opposed, to I can't, like, just move the, the lever like I've done the rest of my life. But, you know, but I have to have a high-end shower control and now i got to replace that sucker. And guess what? All it takes to replace your shower is what? (laughs) $2,000. Here's what I'm finding out. Everything in life now is (laughs) $2,000. Yeah. Mainly because I'm an idiot and I can't do it myself. But, you know, so now we got the order in. So hopefully soon we'll have a new $2,000 shower set that makes me wet and gets me clean, just like the old $100 set (laughs) did years ago. It's life. But if you want to have peace with the outer ring of life, where does it come from? And I end with this statement. Where does it all come from? What kind of joy and peace are you after? If you do it the culture's way and you find your joy and your peace in what's happening around you, in the circumstances, you're going to always be living under the circumstances because bad stuff happens. If you're going to live above the circumstances in Christ, where he is, you've got to realize that in these in these. Verses. There's 23 verses in this chapter, 11 times it uses the phrase, in the Lord, in Christ, in God, 11 times in 23 verses. Don't miss the big idea. Jesus is indeed the true source of real joy and real peace where you can live above your circumstances. If you haven't established that basic relationship with Christ, You can't work this diagram backwards. You'll never be at peace with life if you're not at peace with people. You'll never be at peace with people if you're not at peace with Christ and you know the grace of God because then it can spill over and begin to change your life as well. If you've never made that, then pray with me. Let's get that first circle firmed up now, okay? Let's pray. Father God, um, as the band comes to lead us in some worship, thank you so much. Thank you for the peace that we have with Christ, the peace we have with you, Father God, through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're in this room today and you say, man, I think I need this kind of peace. I'm tired of being controlled by my circumstances. I want to be able to stand firm in Christ then just pray this simple prayer with me and say, Lord Jesus, I can't do it alone. I need you. I need your joy, your peace that comes from knowing that I am securely loved by you, that I have purpose in you, I have ability in you. So I ask you into my life, come and be my Savior, my Lord, the source of my security and significance and strength. Would you be all of that for me? And I ask you into my life today. And Lord, for those of us that have already made that decision years ago, Father, may we today recommit ourselves and say, Lord, um, you are our everything. Give us your joy. Give us your peace that we might impact our world for you. In Christ's name. Amen.